You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning. Good morning. As, as Tim said, my name is Matt, and uh, I'm on staff here at Hope Church. I'm married to the beautiful Bex, and uh, she came to the, the first service, but she's expecting our first child, which is due in September. So we're really excited. But I'm, I'm honoured to be asked to come and speak this morning. I wonder, if you were asked about the top three topics mentioned in the Bible, this is the top three topics that have the most verses dedicated to it, I wonder what you would think they might be. Well, if I tell you that the top one has 2,350 verses, and then the t- second and third place, both 500 verses, you can see there's a difference. Well, second and third is love and prayer, leaving number one spot, for money and possessions. Jesus, 15% of his recorded words in the Bible were on money and possessions. 15%. To give context to that, this year, if we had spent 15% at Hope Church, then we would have been preaching on this subject once every six weeks. It's amazing to think that the saviour of the world gave so much time to this area. So it's really important to ask, why? What does he know about money and possessions that we don't? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us so much guidance and and help with this difficult subject of money and possessions and our treasure. And I pray that you speak through me this morning, challenge our hearts, transform our minds, that we may be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, Tom started the series Offering Our All. He started off talking about time. Uh, I'm going to talk today about treasure. And then next week, uh, many of you will know Hannah Alston. She will be concluding talking about our talents. So last week, Tom started off saying how as a response to God's mercies, we then offer our worship to God in our time. And I'm going to be talking this morning about treasure and what we do with our treasure. My message this morning is going to be in three parts. God and money. So we're going to look at how God views money. We're going to look at God versus money. And then going on to talking about generosity and stewardship. Why should I be generous? How much should I give? And then finishing up with earning and spending. How much is too much? And what should or shouldn't I buy? So how does God view money? Well, there's three historical stories that I'd like to tell you this morning. And the first one, uh, they're all in the Bible, and the first one is about a man called Zacchaeus. Now, this is found in Luke 19 in the Gospels, but I'm going to paraphrase it. And Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector. He went around, uh, he would cheat people, he would steal from them, and he would defraud them. And because of this, he was a very rich man. Now, one day, Jesus was coming to the city where he was, Jericho, the town where he was, and there were big crowds. And Zacchaeus, well, he was a short man. I can relate to that. <laughs> and so to see over the crowds, he wanted to see Jesus. So he ran ahead and, uh, to where he knew Jesus was going to pass through, and he climbed up a tree. And when Jesus got to that tree, he said, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I must come to your house today. 
And Zacchaeus came down and received him joyfully. But the crowds, they weren't happy. You see, they knew who this Zacchaeus was. He'd been stealing from them. He'd been taking their money. They, they were not happy. Why would Jesus, who they'd all come to see, go and spend time with this man Zacchaeus? They looked down on him, but Jesus didn't. In fact, what Zacchaeus said in response is that he would give half of his possessions to the poor, and anyone that he had cheated, he would repay them fourfold. What's crazy here is that Jesus didn't say, well done. He didn't say, yeah, that's a good idea, Zacchaeus. Jesus said this, today, salvation has come to this house. This is amazing. Jesus judged the reality of this man's salvation on his eagerness. Jesus didn't ask him to part with the money. On his eagerness to give his money for the glory of God and the help of others. Let's contrast this with an exchange found in Mark 10. Starting at verse 17, this one's going to come up on the screen. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept these from a young age. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell all your possessions, sell everything you have, and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and turned to his disciples and said, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at this. They didn't see the barrier that wealth can have for our salvation. We may be tempted to think of our 21st century knowledge that Jesus could have handled it differently. And then maybe if he'd he'd come from a different angle, landed himself another convert. But Jesus knew the man's heart. You see, he doesn't tell all his disciples to sell everything that they have and give to the poor. But he knew that this man's God was money. The third account I want to tell you about is an old poor widow. Again, it's going to come up on the screens. It's in Mark 12, and we're going to pick up in verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money in the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two copper coins, which is a penny. He called his disciples and said to them, Truly, I say to you this, this poor widow has put in more than all those who were contributing to the offering box. For they contributed out of their abundance, but this lady contributed out of her poverty and has put everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's go back to that first verse. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched people putting in the offering box. Jesus watched people putting in the offering box. 
I wonder how you would have felt this morning as the offering came past, knowing that you were being watched, how much went in there. Or even to know that Jesus was watching. And how does this make us feel in all of our lives, knowing that Jesus is watching what we're doing with our money? It makes us feel very uncomfortable. But the thing is that Jesus doesn't apologize for watching. He doesn't say he happened to glance over, he happened to notice. It says Jesus sat down and watched. It's his business. He considers it his business. And he watches with intense interest what we do with the money that he's entrusted us with. These accounts of Zacchaeus, the rich man, the the poor widow, they really do give an insight into what's going on in our hearts. They point to how we're doing in our story, our spiritual life. And how we handle money and possessions becomes the story of our lives. As Christians, we're called to follow Christ, to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross daily and follow him. But can we really and truly do this without having any effect on our money and possessions? These passages are tough. They are. The more we wrestle with them, the more that they pierce our heart. But we could either let Jesus do what he needs to do within us, or we can just avoid them, turn away. The problem with the Bible is not that these passages are unclear, but probably that they're too clear. That being said, discovering God's will for money is not one of um, restriction and, and not having anything. It's one of joy. It's one of liberation. And, and it leads us to spiritual growth, that learning more about faith and grace and God's provision. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want to grow more, not just in height. I mean, that would be great, but I want to grow more spiritually. I want that. I want to know the joy of what it means to be generous and knowing God's provision. I want that, don't you? Therefore, we need to be committed to looking at, the way, at, looking at money the way that God does. Tom spoke last week, Romans 12, 2, are going to come up about how we're not to be conformed by the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of mind. Conformity is like going downstream. It's easy. You just get carried away. We're called to know where we're going, and actively, sometimes it would mean swimming against the tide. Martin Luther, he's a great reformer within the church. He said this, there are three conversions into Christianity, one of the heart, one of the mind, and one of the wallet. Okay, so if we're going to look at the way God sees money, what does that mean about money? Is money bad? Should we sell all our positions and, and give it all to the poor? Surely money can be used for good. Well, a pen... That can be used to write a book. It's not responsible for writing the book, but it can be used. A golf club can be used to get a hole-in-one. Again, it's not responsible for getting the hole-in-one, however much I try to argue that. It's the person holding the club. You see, money can be used to buy sex, drugs, fund terrorism, bribe a judge, but it's not responsible for these things. The responsibility lies with the people behind these evil deeds. Water, it's a gift from God. It, it quenches thirst, it gives life. But out of control, it floods, 
it damages, it kills. Fire, a gift from God. You can cook, it gives light, gives warmth, out of control. You only have to look in the news recently to know the devastation that it can cause. You see, there's nothing wrong with money itself, but there's something desperately wrong with the devotion to it. 1 Timothy 6, 9-10 says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Luke 16, 9 says that we should use worldly wealth for good. And so therefore the goal is not to put money to death, but it's to make sure we handle it with discipline and with monitored hearts. Two years ago, my wife and I went to Mauritius. It was on our honeymoon. And uh, we were really fortunate enough to walk with lions. And it was, it was great. So we turned up and they handed us, handed us a form. And they, they gave it to us and I read it. And it said, um, basically, if you sign this and if you die, it's not our fault. And so we signed it and went on into the park. And so we, we walked with lions. And my wife, she held the tail of the lion as it walked on. We stroked them. We, we had a, it was a great time. But there was a moment where someone else in the group tried to stroke the lion while it was having a drink from the water, from the stream. And the lion suddenly whipped its head back and growled. And it was a sharp reminder that this was a beast. It had been tamed, but it still had the power to turn on us if we dropped our guard and we didn't act responsibly. This, too, is how we should handle money. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. Again, it's going to appear on the screens behind. Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, or where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroy, or thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We'll pause there for a minute, have a look at that first section. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also, but it says do not store your treasure up on earth. Store it up where it can't be taken from you. Store it up where it can't be damaged. But you know what? I'm going to be honest. I think the reason that we store up treasures on earth is because we're not truly looking forward to what's ahead of us. We're not truly looking forward to heaven. How can we devote our lives to the eternity that's in front of us if we don't really know what it's like? So therefore, it's important to answer that question. What is heaven like? Well, as Christians, heaven is our home. There's a a capital city which is built on eternal foundations, designed by God. It is beautiful. There is no pollution, no crime. It is so attractive. There is an abundance of water and delicious food, food and drink that we'll enjoy with Jesus. We'll also sit down with Abraham, Moses, Peter, Mary. The list goes on. I wonder who you look forward to sharing a meal with. And then angels. We'll converse with angels. We'll, we'll hear stories of, of what they did to protect us when we're, on this, when we're in this life. And, and also, it talks in Revelation of choirs 
of 10,000 times 10,000 angels singing. I've done the maths. 100 million. It's 100 million angels on the stage. And that's just the ensemble. Imagine the power of the song. The weary will receive rest. Every tear will be wiped away. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. No hospitals. No cemetery. No sin. No fear. No rape. No murder. No terrorism. The sick, the elderly, the disabled, they will be, they will be free from their restrictions and pain. They will walk, run, see, and hear, and some for the first time. And we will reign with Christ forever, even over angels. Heaven is the certain hope for Christians, a hope that should sustain us through all of the darkness of life, a hope that is worth investing in, a hope that we, is worth centering our lives around. But this, isn't, this doesn't come naturally it takes discipline. Colossians 3 talks about, now set your sights on the rich treasures and joys of heaven, where he sits beside God in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Let's make sure we're people that keep our sights set on the hope that is before us. So do not lay your treasures on earth, but lay them up in heaven. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. That's tough. You want to know where your heart is? Look at your bank account. Anyone wish that wasn't there? I know I do. It's hard. But money is one of the few external indicators which show what's actually, that Scripture says shows actually what's going on in our heart. It's not what you think you believe. It's not what you say you believe. But you want to know what you really believe? Look at your bank account. It doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth. It's what you're doing with your possessions and money. Does does your bank account show that you love the Lord, or does it show that you love security, safety? Does your bank account show that you love the Lord, or does it show that you love cable TV, nice holidays, sports? I mean, the list could go on, but it's not to say there's anything wrong with these things. They're great, but they just make terrible gods. Jesus is saying here, wherever your treasure is, your heart is. And we go back to the passage in Matthew, and it continues. The eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then light is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve money and God. If the eye sees money as a treasure to be had, it will affect your whole body. So how do we make sure that we're not... How do we see money? We see that the real treasure to be had is Jesus Christ. It's impossible to to gain a high level of Christian maturity if you haven't laid how you feel 
about money at the foot of the cross. It's one of those things that holds us back. If Christ is not Lord over our finances, then he's not our Lord at all. So we've talked about how we should view money. Uh, but what about how we should use it? Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 11. Again, it will come up on the screen. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound in you so that you have all sufficiency in all things at all times. You may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. For through us will produce thanksgiving to God. We're not called to give out of guilt or obedience. We're not called to give as Christians from a begrudging spirit. The foundation of Christian generosity is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We did not save ourselves. It was freely given. Those who have put their trust in Jesus have been purchased by God and freely cleaned and justified. When at our worst? You see, the gospel, that is what it is. We couldn't, he did. Even at our best, even at our absolute best, we are just filthy rags to a holy God. But whilst a sinner, Jesus died for you. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Freely you have received, freely give. The basis of the generosity of generosity is the cross. It's not trying to appease God or, or try and get on his side. It's a transformed heart, as Tom was speaking on last week. It's saying, I have been freely given, and so freely I live open-handedly. And this raises the question in our hearts. What sort of giver am I? Am I giving out of experiencing the free grace and mercy of God through the gift of the Holy Spirit? Or am I just following the rules? Giving maybe because God might bless me back or just uh, get him off my case or buy him off. Back in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10, it says, He who supplied the seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You know, we don't give out of compulsion. We give because of the grace that has been lavished upon us. But what this is saying is you, 
you may have some seed and you may plant it and it will grow and then you'll harvest it and you'll make bread. It's easy to say, yeah, this is my bread. Look at all the hard work I've done. But where did the seed come from? Where did the water come from that helped it to grow? The sun that gave it light and warmth. You see, you know, you see the, the generosity starts at the cross, but it leads us on to an understanding that everything is his. Everything belongs to the Lord. Ownership is a myth. We own nothing. Instead, we are called as stewards to look after everything that he's given us. But we own nothing. It's kind of weird, isn't it? It's tough to handle because you think, no, I've, I've worked really hard. You know, I earned this. I've, I've done a lot of hours to get this, and, and now you're telling me it's not mine? Well, yes, you have worked hard, and that's great. But you've worked hard with the mind that God's given you, with the body God's given you. You've worked hard with breathing the air that God provides, the sun that he sustains. I could go on. And that's why it's so ridiculous to think that we can just appease God with an offering. I'm going to be a dad in September, as I said earlier, and I'm really excited, but two weeks ago, I got a Father's Day card from my unborn child. I don't know how he got it to me, but it's brilliant. And uh, the, I opened it, and it was, such a, it was really sweet, and I've kept it, and it's going to be nice, but I look forward, as I, as, as I go on with my child, with my son, as he's going to go and pick out gifts with his mum for me, and uh, he's going to go and pick them off the shelf and, and buy them. But here's the thing. My wife and I share a bank account. I paid for that card. And as we have more birthdays and Christmases and Father's Day, I'm not going to gain anything financially. I'm actually going to get a bit poorer. But my son, it's going to mean a lot to me that he's given this to me. But he can't buy me off because it's come from my account. So this is why we can't buy God off. It's not, not with money, not deeds, not anything, because it's all his. It comes from his account. When we understand that free grace has been lavished upon us and that everything belongs to the Lord and that we're stewards of this, then this leads us on to verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. An enriched life is one where we're generous. When we live open-handed, understanding that this life is not the end of the story, those that understand radical grace give radically. If we ever must be countercultural in any area, it's this one. It's this one. There's a guy in Canada. His name is Jim Estill. And he saw the devastation that was happening in Syria, the rubble, the, the, the death. And so he spent $1.5 million of his own money to bring 58 Syrian families over, to house them, to give them jobs. Now, there are a lot of people that are doing a lot of great work all over the world for different causes. But how much volume is there with a message when someone gives so much of their own money? So how much should we give? 2% of my earnings? 5% of my earnings, 10%, 15, 20, 25? Is that before or after tax? How much should I give? I mean, really, 
That, that question is the problem. You, you see, you could be giving 25% of everything you have. You could be selling, you could sell everything that you own and give all the money to the poor, but you could still be missing the point. You see, it's not about percentage. It's not about tithe. It's about the state of your heart. And we've been blessed so much as a church recently as we've been investing that way as we've been going for a building project. And thank you so much for all your generosity in this, this area. But we need to make sure where is our generosity coming from? What sort of giver are we? And you know, how do we find out what our heart's like? As I said before, we check the bank statement. What does it point to? Does it point to this life? Does it say that this is it? Or does it point to the fact that we believe that we are here to reach the lost and for the glory of God? What does it point to? What do you believe? Your bank balance will tell you, or your bank statement will tell you if you're a liar or not. So are you? That question needs to be asked. We need to ask ourselves that question. And I get it. I really do. Some of you might be thinking, sitting here thinking, Matt, you, you don't understand. I'm struggling. I've got a mountain of debt. I'm trying to make ends meet. I've got kids to look after. I, I, just, I, I know it's tough. I do. But that doesn't mean we don't do everything that we can to work hard and to get out of debt and to stop making silly decisions and thinking, no, I'm... I deserve an expensive holiday. Or why shouldn't I have Sky TV even though I'm struggling to make ends meet? We've got to look at our heart and assess ourselves. Why are we making those decisions? What is it in our heart that thinks we're entitled to stuff? And we need to put to death those thoughts that make us think we want better stuff, more stuff. But you know what? Generosity for you might be just starting at £5 a month. Because maybe your situation, I mean, it could grow, but maybe you're a single mum, dad's left, you've got four kids, and you really are living from one paycheck to another and still struggling. But maybe generosity for you is the, the two coins, like the old widow. But for many of us, it's a lot more. And I'm sure there are many excuses that will emerge at this point. Now, I just, I want to give as many opportunities as, as I can to my children. Can I suggest that maybe we live in a, in a country that gives many opportunities to our children? Maybe say, oh, I want to make sure my child has everything. You see, as Christians, we need to call our children to be generous. To be generous. And that's hard. It will take discipline. Because they live in a world that just screams at them that they are God. So earning and spending, how much is too much? Could I be earning? Can I earn too much as a Christian? Possibly. It's not about how much, it's how much your heart can cope with without being pulled away by the devotion to money. You know, but that amount, that amount will be different from one person to the next. But the Bible does warn us that the more money we have, the more we need to guard our hearts. However, this doesn't mean that we don't work hard and go for promotions. We don't look for opportunities. Christians are called to work hard. We're called to be successful, to aspire to godly ambition. We're called to work for the, to the glory of God. 
So let's strive to be the best that we can be. But let's just know where our treasure is being stored. And let's make sure we're caring for money diligently. Proverbs 27, it tells us, be sure you know the conditions of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. You must know well your resources, because they're not yours. They've been entrusted to you. They've been entrusted to us. So how do we steward these resources well? To honour God? How do we do it? We get on a budget. We get on a budget. I love budgeting. I get laughed at about it. I realise it's sad. I have a number of spreadsheets. But I realise that this is not normal. And most people don't want to spend their Saturday mornings trying to work out why the left column doesn't match with the right column and where that 1742 comes from. It's frustrating. I get it. It is frustrating. But you know what? You, it's something that we need to do to guard our hearts. You might be sitting here and thinking, well, I'm actually doing pretty well for myself and I don't need to budget. Can I put to you that maybe it's even more important? It forces us to address that question. Where is my treasure being stored? Where is my heart? If you find it difficult with budgeting or you don't know where to start, we do run at Hope Church cat money courses, which I encourage you to, to get on one if you'd like to. And there's information at the information point and at the back if you want to get on that. But we need to make sure that we know every pound that we have is the Lord. And it's important to know what we're doing with his money. We don't own anything that he's entrusted us with much. So what should or shouldn't I buy? I know what you're thinking. Matt, I understand that everything I have belongs to the Lord. You've described it beautifully and eloquent and in a clear way. Thank you. It makes sense that I should get on a budget to make sure that I'm stewarding the money well and, and checking where my money's going and making sure I can be generous. I get that. But if you think you're going to tell me what I should be spending my money on, no. It's none of your business. Well... God considers it his business. He watched. Look, if you're in a budget and you're living in a way that you understand that everything you own is the Lord's, everything comes from the Lord, and you can celebrate that, then go. That's great. But let's just make sure we're spending money in a God-honoring way. Let me take you through a few practical things that I found helpful. First of all, in the budgeting, I, I start off with my wife and I sat down and we decided a percentage of how much we're going to give of our earnings. Now, we did that at the beginning because if I don't do it at the start, that's going to get smaller and smaller as the month goes on. I like, I like nice things. And so I need to make sure the foundation of my budget is one of generosity. And then here's how decisions are made. I've got my budget. Okay, I, I look at it and I say, well, here's what I've decided to do to make sure money doesn't own me. Here's what I've decided to do to make sure that I'm, I'm being generous. And now, do I think that God would be okay with buying this? Do I think that I can see it as a good gift from the Lord? Then go for it. You see, the question isn't, should or shouldn't I buy it? But the question is, does God want me to own it? Does owning this pull a drain on my resources, which means it's going to stop me doing something else that God does want me to do? 
Do the benefits of the kingdom outweigh the liabilities that ownership always brings? And does it, does it help contribute or does it distract from my walk and service and devotion to God? You know, all questions to every one of the, all of these questions are going to be different for every purchase for every person. But they're questions that we need to be asking before making decisions. As the bang come up, I just want to finish with this. These texts, they, they hold up a mirror in our face. Now, we can choose to look at this mirror, which is the word of God, and accept that that's what we look like. Or we can try and justify that we don't look like that. My hope is that the mirror of the word of God reflects our hearts this morning and that in the areas where we need to confess and repent, we do so. Don't ever hate conviction. Conviction is a gift from God. A broken soul will will receive an outpouring of grace and mercy. It will then lead on to a, a, a worship that gives us strength for an obedience. Don't despise conviction. Act on it. This week, sit down with your wife, your husband. Look at your finances. If you're single, find someone that, you can, walk, that can walk with you with this. Let's look at our finances. Where do they point? Where do they point? If you're thinking, okay, I haven't got a budget and I'm living from paycheck to paycheck, let's be people that knows the state of our flocks, that knows the state of our flocks. God has entrusted us with much So let's be generous stewards for the glory of God. Why? Because we have been freely rescued. We've been rescued from the grasp of death. We've been brought into the kingdom of light. We've been entrusted with much. We've been provided by God for his glory. And so we can invest in eternity. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that we can stand here knowing that freely you have saved us. Even at our worst, you have picked us up and loved us and saved us and changed our eternity. We thank you for your provision. We thank you, Lord, that you are a good God that that has good gifts for us. And Lord, I pray that you set us free from any idolatry that we have in our lives. Show these areas to us. And may we confess and be freed from them this morning. Help us to evaluate the way we spend, the way we give, and the way we live our lives. May we be known as a church that live generously, that meet the needs of those around us in our community, and glorify your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.